Let me say it's good to be back with you this morning. It seems like it's been several weeks. It really seems like it's been months since I, I've had the opportunity, the privilege to speak with you because we've had some guest speakers the last couple of weeks. And let me say to Northside, West Columbia, it's especially good to be with you because it seems like it's been forever since I've had the opportunity to speak with you. I, I've got to warn you in advance. What I'm going to say to you this morning is going to be hard to hear. Trust me. It's always been, already been hard for me to hear. It's already spoke to my heart. It's, it's already challenged me. When Jesus was here, he made some pretty outrageous statements. Jesus said in Luke 19, the Son of Man comes to seek and to save the lost. In, in John chapter 3, Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world could have life. He who believes is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. In John 11, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he dies, he will live forever. In John 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And the early church believed that. They believed that to the point that they were willing to die for that message. In Acts chapter 4, when, when Peter preached, Peter said, salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to men whereby we can be saved. In Romans 3, Paul said, no one will be declared righteous by obeying the law. But now, we have a righteousness that is apart from the law. For we have all sinned, we have all fallen short of the glory of God, but we are justified freely through grace by the redemption through Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that everyone who does not receive Jesus, will spend eternity separated from Jesus. In Revelation 20, we are told anyone whose name is not found written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. When Jesus was speaking about that day in Matthew 25, he said they will go away into everlasting damnation, everlasting punishment. But the righteous into eternal life. You see, the Bible teaches clearly that we are all sinners and we are all in need of a Savior. The Bible tells us that Jesus came to this earth and He died on the cross, rose from the grave, so that He could be our Savior. And everybody is going to live somewhere forever. We're going to either live forever with Him in a place called heaven, or we're going to live forever in a place called hell, separated from him. The question is, do you believe that? Do you really believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through him? Do you really believe that everyone 
who does not receive Jesus, everyone who does not have a personal relationship with him, will die and spend eternity separated from him. Because the truth is, many, if not most of us, live like we really don't believe that. We live like atheists. Like there is no God. Or we live like universalists. Believing that in the end, everybody is going to be saved. Everybody is going to go to heaven. Or, we are absolutely heartless. We just don't care about people. Think about it. If we really do believe that Jesus came to this earth, he died on the cross, he rose from the grave to pay for the sins of mankind... And we really do believe that giving our hearts and our lives to Jesus is the only way that we can be saved. And we really do believe that everyone who has not done that will spend eternity separated from him in a place called the lake of fire, in a place called hell. Then we would do everything, everything within our power to beg people, to urge people, to plead with people to receive Jesus. If we really did believe that Jesus was the hope of the world, if we really did believe that Jesus is the answer to the problems we face, if we really did believe that he is the source of life, if we really did believe that one day we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, I believe that we would be doing all within our power to share with the world the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. I've had to do a gut check this week. Because as I've been studying the word and preparing for this morning, I've had to ask myself, do I really believe? Am I living in such a way that shows that I believe with all my heart that Jesus is the only hope of the world? He is the way, the truth, And the life. I want you to ask yourself this morning. Am I living like I believe that? Hudson Taylor was one of the first missionaries to to go to the country of China. And when he was on the boat heading to China, the ship's captain asked Hudson Taylor. He said, Taylor, do you believe the heathen will be lost if you don't go to China? And Hudson Taylor responded, Sir, I believe that the heathen are lost. And that's why I'm going to China. You see, the Bible teaches that the world is lost apart from Jesus. Our co-workers are lost apart from Jesus. Our neighbors are lost apart from Jesus. Our friends are lost apart from Jesus. Our family members are lost apart from Jesus. That's why Jesus gave us a mission. That's why he gave us the great commission, as we call it, so that the world can know that there is a Savior. It's interesting that the great commission, the last words that Jesus spoke before he ascended into heaven, is found in each of the four Gospels, and it's found in the book of Acts. And in every book that tells us about Jesus' life and his ascension into heaven, we are told of the Great Commission. 
In Matthew 28, it says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. In Mark's gospel, it says, Go into the world and preach the good news to all nations. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe is condemned. In Luke's gospel, it says simply repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be preached to all nations. In John's gospel, Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. But I want us to focus on Acts 1. Acts 1 verse 8. So if you've got your Bibles, open it to that passage. I know you're familiar with it. But I'm afraid that what happens oftentimes is we get so familiar with a passage that we gloss over it. We don't really see what it's saying to us. So I want you to listen to Acts 1a. I want you to have your Bibles open. I want you to underline it. Listen to what it says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The very last words that Jesus spoke before he ascended up in heaven were missional. As Jesus left planet earth and went back to heaven, he gave us a mission to go into the world and be his witnesses. Dr. W.T. Connor was a great, he's in heaven now, but he was a great Southern Baptist theologian. And this is what he said. He said, any form of Christianity that does not have throbbing through it, a missionary and an evangelistic impulse, is a degenerate form. So in light of that, I want us to take a close look at Jesus' words. And I want us to ask ourselves, not is my neighbor fulfilling the Great Commission, not is my church fulfilling the Great Commission, but I want us to ask ourselves personally, individually, as we sit in our seat, am I fulfilling the Great Commission? Now, as we read this passage, we notice three things That Jesus says, first of all, I want you to notice the power that he gives. And he gives us the Holy Spirit. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you received that power? Has the Holy Spirit come upon you? Because Jesus made it very clear That when His Holy Spirit comes upon us, when His Holy Spirit comes to live in us, we will receive power to be His witnesses. You see, the Bible teaches that that God will never give us a task without giving us the ability to accomplish that task. We we see that from the very beginning. In the book of Exodus, when, when God led His people out of Egypt, and was leading them into the promised land, and and he told them to build a tabernacle. God said to Moses, 
I have already given the abilities to the people who were to build this tabernacle. Listen very carefully. Whatever God calls us to do, God gives us the power to do. Are you listening? Do you hear that? God never gives us a task without also giving us the power to accomplish that task. The power to accomplish our mission the Lord gave us isn't dependent upon our personalities. It's it's not dependent upon our, our education. It's not dependent upon our persuasiveness or anything else that we bring to the table. It is dependent upon one thing, and that is the Holy Spirit empowering us. Now listen, I may not be empowered to sing beautifully. I may not be empowered to preach or teach persuasively. I may not have the power to to lead effectively, but understand... If I am a follower of Jesus Christ, I have been given the power to be an effective witness. You see, you need to understand that the ability to be a witness doesn't come from us. It doesn't come from our power. It comes from His power. Write this down. The Holy Spirit is the fuel for all of our missionary efforts. Now, when does that happen? Well, initially it happens... When we are saved, the moment you receive Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. That's the supernatural element of salvation. It's something that you, 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 can't, you, you can't gauge, you, you can't see, but, but you know what happens. God's Spirit comes to live in you when you surrender your life to Jesus and place your faith in him. So the moment you're saved, he gives you the power to be his witness. But the truth is, many of us have lost that power. We haven't lost the Holy Spirit, but we've lost that power because of our disobedience to witness. We haven't witnessed as God has called us to, as God has commanded us to, and because of that, we've lost that power. And what we need to do is we need to humble ourselves and pray and ask God to fill us with his Holy Spirit because we will never make an impact on the world until his Spirit comes to live in us. That's what happened at Pentecost. They prayed. The Holy Spirit came upon every believer. Peter preached. Over 3,000 people were saved. The Bible says in that same chapter, That people were coming to Jesus every single day. In Acts chapter 4, we don't know how much long time had passed between Acts 2 and Acts 4. But but we know that Peter preached again in the temple. And the number of disciples grew to over 5,000. And the Bible says that the Lord was adding regularly to the church. A persecution came among the believers. The believers were scattered all around the known world. It tells the story of Philip going to Samaria. And as a believer, he told people about Jesus. And the Bible says a great 
Revival broke out among the Samaritans. Why? Because he had received power when the Holy Spirit came upon him. And people weren't brought to Christ because of his persuasiveness or because of his creativity. But they came to Jesus because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Understand this. Apart from the Holy Spirit, anything we do will eventually fail and it will eventually fade away. We may, through great marketing and through quality programs, attract people. But understand, we don't have the ability to change a life. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And if it's our creativity and it's our marketing and it's our, our, our excellence that brings people in and it's not the power of the Holy Spirit, then understand, it will eventually fade away. But when the Holy Spirit is empowering a work, empowering a movement, it will stand the test of time. That's why we need Him. Listen, Jesus has given us a mission. And He's promised to empower us for the mission. He, he gives us His Holy Spirit. So the power He gives us, His Holy Spirit. But then I want you to know the people that He uses, and, and that is you. And me, and every person who claims the name of Christ. I want you to notice in, in chapter 1, verse 8, the number of times that you see that word you. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, three times we see that word you in that passage. You know, he was talking specifically to his 11 disciples, but, but he was talking generally to each and every one of us who claim the name of Jesus. You see, God's Spirit is given to us for a purpose, and that purpose is so that we can be powerful witnesses. Now, there are other things that the Spirit does. The Spirit gifts us in a variety of ways. The Spirit helps us to understand the Word of God. The Spirit works in our lives in a variety of ways. But the Bible says that the number one reason the Holy Spirit is given to us is to empower us to be effective witnesses. If you want to know how God intends to reach the world, what you need to do is either go to the bathroom or go home and look in the mirror. And you will see exactly how God intends to reach the world. If we don't do it, it's not going to be done. I want to give you a few verses. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 says this. But you are the ones chosen by God to do His work and speak out for Him. To tell others the night and day difference He has made in your life. You are the ones chosen by God. I am the one chosen by God. We are the ones chosen by God to tell the world the difference that he makes in our life. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19 and 20. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he is doing. We are Christ's representatives. God has given us the task. And we discover in God's word that that's what people did when they came to understand who Jesus was. The woman at the well in John chapter 4. It says this, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Christ? 
she went out and told people about Jesus. That's what the Gadarene demoniac did. In Mark chapter 5, it says, So the man went away and began to tell in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. And that's what you and I are to do. Unfortunately, many of us believe that if we pray, which is important, and we give, which is important, then somehow, some way, we aren't responsible to go. But the Bible never says that. We not only have a responsibility to pray for the lost in the world and pray that God will send messengers, harvesters, we not only have a responsibility to give so that people can go all around the world, so that churches can be planted, we have a responsibility to share ourselves. And I'm afraid that's what many of us have missed. We've missed that responsibility. You see, the Bible teaches that we have not only been given a responsibility to share the gospel, the Bible teaches that he will hold us responsible or accountable for sharing that message. Back when I was a child, I learned a number of Bible verses. Our, our church had, had Bible drills where young children were taught the Bible and, and learned how to, to um, memorize those verses and how to find verses in the Bible. And there were verses that I learned back then that, that I remember to this day. And, and one of those verses was in Ezekiel 3, verses 18 through 20. And, and I, I want to share with you what that verse says. Ezekiel was speaking for God, and God says this, When I say to the wicked, you will die, you must warn them so they may live. If you don't speak out to warn the wicked to stop their evil ways, they will die in their sins, but I will hold you responsible for their deaths. If you warn the wicked and they do not turn from their wickedness or their evil ways, they will die because of their sin, but you will have saved your life. Again, those who do right may turn away from doing good and do evil. If I make something bad happen to them, they will die because you have not warned them. They will die because of their sin, and the good they did will not be remembered because I will hold you responsible for their deaths. Do you get that? You and I who have discovered the message of the gospel, have a responsibility to share with those who have not heard the gospel the good news. And if we do not share, the Bible says in black and white, he will hold us responsible for that. In other words, the opportunities that I've had to share Jesus with people that, that I haven't taken advantage of those opportunities. And they die and they go to hell. I, I'm going to give an account of that. You say, man, that's tough. It is tough, isn't it? I, I got to tell you, it's heart-wrenching. Because in my life of 54 years, there have been a lot of missed opportunities. And, and I can't go back and, and I can't change the past. I can't go back and, and, and erase missed opportunities. But what I can do is I can say from this time forth, I don't want to miss an opportunity. I want to share Jesus. That's what Paul did. Paul 
persecutor of the church who became the greatest missionary to walk the face of the earth was wrapping up his third missionary journey and, and he was going to Jerusalem. He felt with all of his heart that God was leading him to Jerusalem and, and, and he knew God's Holy Spirit had revealed to him that when he went to Jerusalem, suffering awaited him. I want you to listen to what he says to the elders in the church in Ephesus in Acts 20. He said, I don't care about my own life. The most important thing is that I complete my mission, the work that the Lord Jesus gave me to tell people the good news about God's grace. And now I know that none of you among whom I have preached the kingdom of God will ever see me again. So today, I tell you that if any of you should be lost, I am not responsible because I've told you everything God wants you to know. Wow. Paul was speaking to them face to face and he said, if you're lost, it's not because of me. How many people are going to be lost for all eternity because we have sat across the table from them, because we have worked in a cubicle next to them, because we have lived next door to them, but we've never taken the opportunity to tell them about Jesus. God will never win this world to himself apart from from us. You, you may ask, are there no other options? And the answer is no. God put all his eggs in one basket. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is this. Who have we won? Who are we trying to win? So the power God gives, he, he doesn't give us a task and, and leave us alone to do it. He empowers us through His Holy Spirit. The people who are called to this task, me and you, every single one of us who calls ourselves a Christian. But finally, I want you to notice the plan that He provides. And the plan is simple. He says, I want you to be a witness everywhere. <laughs> That's simple, isn't it? I want you to be a witness everywhere. In Acts 22, verse 15, Paul is speaking and he says this, he says, for you are to be his witnesses telling everyone what you have seen and heard. Notice two things. We are to be a witness. Now, what is a witness? A witness is someone who simply gives a testimony. A witness is someone who shares what they have seen, what they have heard, what they have experienced. And so Jesus said, what I want you to do is I want you to tell everyone you come in contact with what you have experienced through me. You see, we are never commanded to be these gifted orators or skilled teachers. We are commanded to be simple witnesses to share our story, the night and day difference that Jesus has made in our lives. And that's what we are going to be held accountable for. Am I sharing with people the night and day difference Jesus has made in my life? And if you're saved, if you're a Christ follower, he's made a night and day difference in your life. Because if you believe what we said at the beginning, before Christ... You were headed to hell. Now you're headed to heaven. 
Before Christ, you were dead in your sins. Now you have been made alive in Christ. Before Christ, you had no hope. Now you have hope. Before Christ, all you had was happiness that is based upon happenings. What is going on in your life? Now you have joy that comes from the inside that you have regardless of what's going on in life. We all have that. We have a story to tell. And we are responsible for sharing that story. Are you sharing your story? We're to be his witnesses. And then he says we're to be his witnesses everywhere in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It begins in Jerusalem. That's our community. Across the street, in the market, at school, at work, in our neighborhood. That's our Jerusalem. Our Jerusalem is Lexington and and Columbia and West Columbia and Casey and, and Gaston and Baseburg, Leesville, all of the Midlands, that's our Jerusalem. You see, our mission doesn't begin out there. Our mission begins right here. Someone said it this way. They said the light that shines the farthest shines the brightest near home. Uh, Another way to say that is is this way. If we're not missionaries where we live, we're never going to be missionaries somewhere else. R.G. Lee said, if we aren't doing everything we can to reach our city and our community for Jesus Christ, we have no right to call ourselves mission-minded. Here's what I know. For some of us, it's much easier to buy a plane ticket and go to a foreign country on a mission trip than it is to share with someone at a ball game or at a restaurant or at work or in our neighborhood. And it should not be that way. The truth is that statistics say that as many as 75% of our neighbors are lost. They have no personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The people that live next door to us. You see, religious affiliation means nothing. The question is, have you been born again? Has the power of the Holy Spirit made you a new person? Have you been humbled by your sinfulness? Have you cried out to Jesus for forgiveness? 75% of our neighbors are or lost, they have no personal relationship with Jesus. Are we witnessing to them? And, and then we're to be witnesses in, in Judea and Samaria. At one time, Israel was one country. Israel. But after Solomon's reign as king, the kingdom divided into Judea and Samaria. The southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. There were two kingdoms. There were two separate countries now. One people... Living separated. The northern kingdom, Samaria, fell in 722 B.C. And and when it fell, most of the Jews that lived there were scattered. They were taken as slaves all around the world. That was called the diaspora. But the people that lived there, 
began to intermarry with the Assyrians who had taken over Samaria. And, and so instead of following the one true God, Jehovah God, they began to follow the gods of the world. And as they intermarried with the people of the world, the Judeans, the Jews in Judea began to hate the Samaritans who had compromised and who had intermarried and who had become like the world. And so when Jesus came onto the scene, the Jews who lived in Judea hated the Samaritans. They were at one time one people, but now they were different people. They despised one another. And Jesus said, you were to go to those who are just like you, your countrymen, and you're to go to those who are different than you, your countrymen by birth. This would be our North America. We are called to go to our North America. Now, we live in the Bible Belt, Southeast United States. And throughout the southeastern United States, there are more Southern Baptist churches than there are Waffle Houses. And that says a lot. As a matter of fact, in South Carolina, there is one Southern Baptist church for every 2,229 people. Southern Baptist church. That doesn't include all the other evangelical churches that are out there that preach the Bible and believe Jesus is the only way to salvation. One Southern Baptist church for every 2,000 people. But in the state of New York, there's one Southern Baptist church for every 57,900 people. The state of New Jersey, there's one Southern Baptist church for every 75,000 people. In Rhode Island, there is one Southern Baptist church for every 87,000 people. And when we move into Canada, it gets worse. In Quebec... There's one Southern Baptist church for every 185,000 people. In Ontario, one church for every 233,000 people. And in Newfoundland, there's one church for every 526,000 people. Hear me. We can say that we are a Christian nation. We can say that we are a people who follow the one true God, but we don't. Do you know the fastest growing religious group in America, according to the latest census is? Do you know what it is? It's not Pentecostals. It's not Islam. It's a group classified as nuns. Not N-U-N-S. N-O-N-E-S. No religious affiliation. Over 22% of Americans now say, I don't have any religion. I don't want anything to do with any religion. Not Christianity, not Hinduism, not not Buddhism, not Islam, not any of the cults that are out there. I'm I'm a nun. I don't have a religious affiliation. To think that we are a Christian nation, we are fooling ourselves. And we've got to take our mission seriously to reach North America. How do we do that from Lexington? I'll tell you how. We partner with church planters and other churches to plant churches in major metropolitan cities around North America. That's what Paul did, didn't he? He went to the population centers of the world and preached Jesus, planted churches, and he impacted the world. We've got to take seriously 
the task of reaching North America, of reaching the United States, because if we don't hear me, not only is our country going to go to hell, but we're going to discover that we lose our freedoms that we now have. We are to go into Judea, our community. We are to go into um, Jeru- Ju- um, or we're to go in Jerusalem, our community. We're to go into Judea and Samaria, North America, the United States, Canada, and then we're to go to the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth. There's 7.6 billion people on this planet. The overwhelming majority of them have no personal relationship with Jesus. As a matter of fact, several billion of them don't even know who Jesus is. There are over 6,000 unreached people groups. An unreached people group is a people group where less than 2% of the people in that people group profess to be Christians. Less than 2%. There are over 3,000 unengaged people groups. That means there's not even an evangelical presence working among those people. They don't have a Bible in their language. There are no missionaries trying to reach them. Over 3,000 unengaged people groups. And some of us sit back and say, why are we wanting to raise so much money so that we can send missionaries to the North African Middle East to people that we don't know? That's why. They don't even have anyone telling them about Jesus. About three years ago, I was at a at a convention, a Southern Baptist convention, and I don't remember who spoke, but, but as the, the, the person spoke, they challenged churches with the reality of the unreached, unengaged in the world. And i got to tell you, my heart broke. And as I sat there, and I began to weep, I said, this isn't right. It can't be. There there can't be people who die and go to hell never even hearing that there's a Savior. When we're responsible. That's why this is so important to us. People are dying and going to hell and it's not acceptable. And what that means is this. We've got to be willing to go wherever it leads. We've got to be willing to go whatever it costs. We've got to be willing to go whatever it takes. We can't go back, hold back. We've got to give our all and do our all until the mission is completed. We've got to pray that God will use us. We've got to pray that God will use our kids. We've got to pray that God will use our grandkids to complete his mission if we have time. Last year at our missions conference, my youngest son, who, who was called into ministry and perhaps missions overseas, was at our missions conference, and he was speaking to one of our missionaries that were here. And this missionary looked at my son Matthew and his friend and said, maybe you'll be the first martyr from your church. When Matthew told me that, I thought, I'm going to kill that missionary. I mean, first of all, we don't go on the mission field hoping to be martyred. We go on the mission field willing to be martyred. 
But as I've been praying that God would use my youngest son, what I've prayed is, God, wherever you lead him, whatever it takes, even if he must lose his life for the sake of the gospel, do whatever it takes. And as we go overseas and and as I've been in places that are closed for the last 15 years and at times been questioned by, by people in authority, understand I'm always careful. I don't want to get arrested. I don't want to die. And, and I kind of stand out in a foreign country. It's hard to hide my accent. And... I've been known to be a little bit obnoxious. But, but here's what I know. Somehow, someway, God can use me, even if it leads to suffering, so that a people group can come to know Him. It'll be worth it. But even more, I want you to hear me. If God can use me, so that my neighbor doesn't go to hell. It'll be worth it. Because the fact of the matter is, there are some of you here who are going to be called. Some of you have children and grandchildren who God wants to use on the mission field overseas. But the fact of the matter is, many of us are never going to be called overseas, but we are called to our neighbors. Are we going to share? Are we going to be obedient? So here's what I want you to do. There on your note sheet, you, you will see something that I want you to ponder. It says, who do you know? And what I want you to do, there's, there's six places there. I want you to ask yourself, who do you know that lives in our Jerusalem? The Midlands that needs Jesus. Who do you know? that needs Jesus, that you can start praying for. You don't need to fill it out right now because some of you know people already. Some of you need to think about it, but I want you to do that. The second thing I want to ask you is this. What will you do? If they need Jesus, what are you willing to do? Are you willing to be obedient and share your story with them? Or are you going to let them die and go to hell? Are you willing to let your children go overseas if they feel like that's what God's calling them to do? Are you willing to pray that God will call them if that's His will? And then finally, how much will you give? Because you see, if we're all in... If we're willing to do whatever it takes, we're willing to give whatever it takes, we're not only going to pray, we're not only going to share our story here and if God leads in other places, but we're going to give. We're going to give to support the mission that God has given us. So who do you know that you can pray for? What are you going to do to share with them? And then how much are you going to give? I want you to bow your head.
I want you to close your eyes. With every head bowed, with every eye closed. I realize that there may be someone here today who has never accepted Jesus as their Savior and Lord. You've never humbled yourself, admitted you are a sinner in need of a Savior, and trusted Christ alone to forgive you of your sins. And if that's you this morning and you need to give your life to Jesus, I encourage you to humble yourself and pray this prayer to Him right now with all of your heart. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I need you. Please forgive me. I believe you died on the cross. You rose from the grave to save me. Right here, right now, I'm trusting you to save me. Come into my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me the power to be obedient to you, I pray. Amen. With your head still bowed, your eyes still closed. If you prayed that prayer just then, and you meant it with all your heart, would you raise your hand right now? And if you prayed that prayer, you meant it, thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? Head still bowed, eyes still closed. There are others of you here today who... Who you're a child of God, you're a believer, but you've never led a single person to Jesus. Or you haven't been doing it consistently. You're not really telling your story. You're not witnessing to your, your neighbors, your co-workers, your, your friends, your, your family. And right now, you know that you've been called. There's, there's no way, if you're a Christ follower, that you cannot know you're responsible Unless you slept through this morning. And so if you're here and you're at that point where you haven't been obedient like you need to be. But you want to make that commitment not to walk in disobedience anymore. But to walk in obedience. I encourage you to humble yourself and pray this prayer right now. Dear God. Thank you for saving me. Forgive me. For not sharing your story. Forgive me. For not being the witness. You have called me to be. Lord I don't want people to go to hell. Because of my silence. Because of my unwillingness to do whatever it takes. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me the courage to step out and trust you and be a witness. Use me to change the world, I pray. Amen. Now I want you to look at me. Here's what I want you to do. The music's going to play softly for just a few minutes. We're going to sit where we're at. I know we came to the altar last week. Some of you turned in cards last week. There's others of you that God's touching your heart this morning to turn in a card. Make a commitment to our, our joint commitment of impacting the world. But whether you made that commitment last week or you're making it this week, if you're here and you're willing to say, I'm going to be a witness, I'm going to be obedient. 
I'm going to be a great commission Christian. I want you to come down to this altar. I want you to kneel. And I want you to publicly make that commitment as you privately make that commitment. You say, I I just prayed that. Why do I need to come to the altar and kneel? Because there's power. There's power in making public commitments. And so as the music plays and and as we bow our heads, if you're willing to make that commitment, I'm going to be a great commission Christian. Just come to this altar right now and pray. And, And just after the music plays for a few minutes, I'll close this out. So we're going to take some moments right now. Father God, it's scary. It's scary to be a witness. It's scary because we don't want to be rejected. It's scary because we don't want to mess up. We don't want to say the wrong thing. It's scary because we don't want people to judge us or dislike us because of who we are. And yet, Father, we realize that we are most cruel, we're most heartless. We lack compassion the most when we don't share the good news. So empower us, use us, make us a church of Great Commission Christians who in turn become a great commission church use us to change our community to change our country North America and to change the world pray this in Jesus name Amen